You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Hello, this is Tommy's Outdoors 68. And uh, today our guest is Porek Fogarty. Porek Fogarty, um, for me, he's really Mr. Irish Wildlife Trust. But to be specific, he's campaign officer at Irish Wildlife Trust. And Parag was already guest on our podcast twice, in episode 20 and in episode 35, where um, that episode was actually talk by Porig rather than the usual question-answer podcast. And also in episode 62, uh, I talked with Patrick Cross, who is making a photo project based on Porig's book, Whittled Away Irish Vanishing Nature. And if you haven't read that book, you probably should, because that's one of the best books on Irish wildlife and what happened to it. So anyway, uh, since the last time we spoke with Porig, uh, there were quite a few things I want to talk to him about. One of them is rewilding and uh, bringing back wolves to Ireland. That's something that Porig was uh, quite active over the last, uh, I don't know, year, eight, eight to ten months. Uh, he was talking a lot and being in the radio and, and, and so on and so forth. That's one thing I wanted to discuss with Porig. And another thing is the relation, or maybe is there a relation, between biodiversity loss and current coronavirus outbreak. Porig wrote an article about it, and he was not the only one. There was quite a few people who wrote the article where they making connection between biodiversity loss and coronavirus outbreak. And I am not entirely sure if I agree with all those points, so I'm, I'm going to continue to explore that. But for a good start, uh, I thought that it's going to be uh, good to talk to Porig about it since he wrote an article. So anyway, uh, that's what you're going to get in this episode. I hope you will enjoy it. As usual, uh, please go and rate the podcast if you like it. Hit that five star or thumbs up or whatever uh, there is on the app that you're listening to this uh, podcast too. And uh, that's great help for me and for the podcast. And uh, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Porig Fogarty. Porig, welcome back to the show. Hi, Tommy. It's it's good to hear you again. Yes, you too. Yeah. It was it was a year and a half since since last time we spoke. Uh, what was happening in Irish Wildlife Trust for the last year and a half? Ah, uh, well, we've been. Uh, I suppose we're 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 a busy organization. We're busy all the time. Actually, one of the projects we've started up uh, since last we spoke is our our bigger and better project um, in relation to marine protected areas. So we, we're working with uh, Seas at Risk, which is a big. Uh, European NGO uh, and uh, our job really is to try and um, get marine protected areas up and running in Ireland uh, make them bigger make them better yeah I heard that this is the marine protected areas is actually the only hope at the moment or maybe the, the biggest uh, 
the the, the initiative that gives the most uh, uh, results in 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 terms of protecting the marine wildlife and marine environment. Oh, they've been uh, well proven uh, throughout the world. Actually, you know, places in the tropics are, are way ahead of us uh, compared to, to Europe mm-hmm. and in Ireland in particular. I mean, we've already agreed to establish 10% of our seas uh, as marine protected areas, something we were supposed to have done by this year. Uh, but at the moment in Ireland, we're about 2 2.5%. So we're really bottom of the heap when it comes to MPAs. It seems like, like Ireland is really dragging behind in terms of all those those environmental measures yeah it is it's uh i mean i'm I'm glad you said that tommy it's not just me you know uh i i think it is everywhere we look you know ireland is bottom of the heap and i i think it's you know i mean the last 10 years we've had a, a political uh a political body i suppose that was set up to deal with the economic crash and uh the environment just hasn't really featured at all on their agenda since uh, since they came to power so you know i mean for anyone looking for rays of hope you know we did have an election back in february that uh elected quite a few uh tds that were uh you know, had, had strong environmental platforms. So, I mean, we're hoping we're hoping changes on the way. Yeah, that will that you you would you hope that that would include the changes into to the forestry uh, policies and and our 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 favorite Sitka spruce plantations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's a, it's across the board. I mean, forestry, yes, farming, uh, you know, ocean protection, climate change. The state of our waterways, uh, you know, the state of our protected areas, the state of the National Parks and Wildlife Service, you know, it really is across the board. It needs a total mm. overhaul. Uh, but I mean, these are things that have been said many times over. So the pressure yeah. is mounting, you know, I mean, we've seen the announcement of the uh, the European Green New Deal this year. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's only going in one direction. Yeah. So so there is there is hope. Um, listen, uh, we obviously have at the moment a health emergency and, and people are locked down. Uh, there's, there's no way to kind of skip that. And um, I heard that across the boards, all the, all the charities and, and organizations that rely on, on funding from supporters, let's say, are, are seeing a hit. Is that something that you're that you see that Irish Wildlife Trust will will be hit by that as well? Uh, it's, it's not something we've noticed, uh, to be honest. Now, bear in mind, you know, the Irish Wildlife Trust runs really on a, on a shoestring budget. So, you know, we rely on mm-hmm. our, uh, our, our members paying their annual subscriptions. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's not something that really has been affected we don't we don't do a lot of big projects let's say for government or state agencies we do some here and there and we probably see the effects of that now over the summer obviously because we can't um we can't hold events or anything for the time being but um yeah but i mean there's 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 a joke within the irish wildlife trust that you know when the nuclear apocalypse hits it'll be the cockroaches and the irish wildlife trust that are left because we've we've survived (laughs) for so long on practically nothing (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's good you know that's a that's a good news because uh to be honest i thought that you're you're gonna say something opposite like yeah we're seeing the hit we're seeing whatever and then but even though you don't see anything uh, any hit in the financial hit i think it's a good good moment to to tell anyone that anyway um they should support irish wildlife trust and and donate and be a members and 
uh, I guess the message I, 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 I would take this opportunity and say, I'm well aware that a lot of people who are my listeners, um, because I have a listeners on kind of very wide spectrum, and a lot of them are, are hunters, anglers, uh, farming background. They're not in, you know, they don't, don't like Irish wildlife trust too much. Let's put it this way. And uh, I suppose the message I'm giving all the time is like, let's let's work on the on the pieces that we agree on. Uh, and you know, I, I think that when it comes to, to nature and, and protection, there's there's more things that we can agree than we disagree. And you know, I, I myself don't agree with everything that I see coming from Irish Wildlife Trust. Nevertheless, I, I'm supporting you guys uh, for you know year and a half, two years since the last time we spoke. Uh, because I, I think we always should should focus on the things that we have in common. Yeah, I mean, and of course, I, I I I agree with you. I think we have to be working on solutions. I think one of the frustrating things uh, I have found in my work is that we're not working on solutions. I mean, there's a lot of you know uh, arguments going on on you know on on social media or whatever, but there's very little work actually taking place on the ground on solutions, um, and that's mm. because we don't. You know, nobody at the moment really has the means to implement solutions. And the reason that is, is because, you know, at, at a very high political level, um, there's there's very little uh, there's very little will to be to be working on the big solutions. I mean, I don't expect uh, you know everyone to agree with us uh, any more than I expect us to ever be completely in agreement with you know all the other uh, interest groups out there but i definitely think there's a, there's enough will in the country to to address the problems and certainly what i see across the board is that there is increasing recognition uh, of the problems that exist but i mean i wouldn't mm. i wouldn't say that is uh, that is you know it's not everywhere let's say you know i still see an awful lot of denialism about uh, about the problems that exist and also about the changes that need to happen to address those problems. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there, there's always, you know, change, whatever whatever uh, walk of life and whatever type of thing you touch, the change is also always something that meets resistance. Uh, I think that's just the human nature. Yeah, and I think, you know, for, for certainly what I try to do, I'm not, you know, maybe we're not successful at it all the time, but... Uh, I, I I try in in the Irish Wildlife Trust to promote the solutions, you know that uh, you know particularly in the big conflict areas such as farming and fishing, you know mm-hmm. we are trying to paint a picture of what Ireland could look like, you know, in yeah. 30, 40 years time that includes farmers and fishermen. Uh, you know we're not trying to put these entire sectors out of business, but at the same time we do have to we do have to utterly transform everything uh, yeah. uh we go about business so yeah of course it's going to be a difficult message yeah 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 and and you know i i never realized you know until i i really started uh doing that podcast and talking with various people i never realized how how much conflict is in that area like literally you know one of the one of the things that that i was almost shocked was when when it it occurred to me that even something like term rewilding is is really you know very emotional and and it's 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 almost triggers some people and you say oh rewilding yeah whatever and it's like whoa why why is why is that and and then 
you know, the, all this, all this, uh, discussions like oh you know you want to rewild you want to get farmers out of business no you want to like it was like whoa i was i was surprised to be honest that something like rewilding you know i like internally i think that oh it has it has to be good because it's it's conservation it's a habit it's habitat protection how why anyone would be against it and then there's a whole whole uh sector of people or a bunch of people who are their understanding of rewilding is completely different than, than mine, and they they see this as a threat to their to their lifestyle, their livelihood. Yeah, um, I understand that. Um, I think uh, in, in one way we have we have no history of conservation in Ireland. Uh, I mean, that's just that's just a fact. You know, it's a totally different situation to, let's say, the United States, for instance, where they have a, they've had a conservation movement. Um, you know, I mean, we you know, we've had conservation agencies and everything. But I mean, you know, in the last 30, 40 years, conservation in Ireland has been a total failure. So we don't have a cons- conservation mindset uh, in Ireland anywhere. So the idea of rewilding, and I think it's one of the one of the useful things about it is that it is triggering. It does make people sit up and, and go, okay, this isn't just another government program. This is a totally, you know, radical concept for our country. I mean, that's that's important to, to get that feeling across. I mean, there are people who have said, you know, rewilding is about, you know, just getting rid of people and uh, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, we have, obviously, that's, we don't agree with that. And we, we have... Um, we have gone to some lengths to try and dispel the, the myths about rewilding, but I don't think that should mean we should we, we should be shying away from from the word or from the, the central concepts of rewilding. I think it's a really important thing. Uh, it just means we, you know we, we have to we have to work harder at communicating what what we mean by it and and how we see it actually working on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that the, is that the structure? Of, of land ownership or, or perhaps the um, lack of areas um, that are well suitable for the wilding is that the source of the of the pushback that every like literally like most of the land is owned in privately by by farmers and naturally when they hear rewilding they see oh somebody gonna come and take our land and and put the you know walls or links there instead of castle I, I mean, I think it, it, the roots of, of, of this run very, very deep. You know, I mean, there are things that are unique to Ireland. There are things that are unique to, you know, our Western civilization and the way we see land. Uh, but particularly in Ireland, uh, there is an attitude of uh, uh, that land must be useful. It must be, you know, put, put to work. And, you know, we see this all the time, the, the way casually people refer to you know uh, waste ground or you know uh, you know land that has just gone into wilderness see here sometimes as being a bad thing there was a headline in the irish farmers journal recently that says you know um pay farmers properly or allow wilderness to return and they meant it as a bad thing <laughs> uh, you know oh wow but that mentality runs runs very very deep and, and i suppose it has its, its roots in 
you know, hardship and poverty and, you know, perhaps going back as far as the famine and, you know, all the conflicts we've had uh, over land over the years. So the central idea behind rewilding is, you know, can we can we change our entire ethic? Can we change our mentality to look at land in a totally different way and say, you know, yeah, of course, we, we absolutely need to farm land uh, to produce food, but we don't need to farm absolutely everywhere. We don't, I mean, and this is the thing in Ireland, we have, we have, uh, sheep out on islands in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean where there are no people. We have sheep on the tops of mountains. We have we have got this mentality that we have to farm absolutely every square meter. But we don't, you know, and I think if we can step back and, and appreciate that, you know, land can have other values and, and letting nature just do its thing can be a valuable thing. That's you know that's really the, the argument about rewilding in many ways. It's a it's a it's a mental uh, psychological issue as much as a policy issue. Yeah, yeah, and and if you if you would uh, give like a one one uh, biggest value of having a wilderness and having a wildlife outside of that, let's 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 park for a moment uh, the idea of like oh we're gonna pay farmer thousands and thousands of euro for designating their land uh, into the wilderness, right? Because that's that's obvious. That's a value for a farmer, but minus that. What would be, in your view, the, the biggest benefit of, of having a wild wilderness areas in, in Ireland? Yeah, I think the, the great prize that's at stake here is um, the, the reconnection between people and nature and being able to find our place within an, a natural system. Of course, this is, a, this is an enormous question and it's, you know, it's rather a, a deep and meaningful kind of a, an aspiration. But I actually think this is really, really important. Our entire global ecological crisis, whether we're talking about, you know, climate change and the collapse of ecosystems and uh, the water crisis, all these interconnecting problems, um, they have their roots in our dysfunctional relationship with nature. Now, that might seem very lofty and far away, but I mean, it very much applies to every one of us as we go about our daily business in as much as it does at a global scale. And I mean, for example, if I live somewhere in Ireland, whether it's, you know, in a suburb or out in the countryside, you know, where do I go to see nature? What is my contact with nature? Is mm. it, is this the, the, you know, the, 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 the little birds that come and visit my garden? I mean, is that the extent of it? Um, is there anywhere I can go where I can really feel that, you know, nature has been unleashed? Um, I mean, you might say, you know, particularly, you know, you go out to the Atlantic Ocean, you see the waves crashing and, and the cliffs and all this, and it feels very wild. But there's no, there's very little life left in the in the seas or, you know, compared to what was there before. So I think that that's really what's at stake. Uh, and, and that's why the whole idea of rewilding is, uh, is so important. And by the way, I think that's also why I feel that, you know, rewilding is something that can be done by people in their gardens as much as something that can be done on a, on a landscape level. You know, I do mm. hear, you know, certain rewilding purists, you know, talk about, no, 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 it has to, it has to be X, Y, and Z. You know, I think rewilding can occur, you know, pretty much anywhere. And, you know, when you see people 
you know, as I've seen in, in Dublin uh, this spring, you know, um, not cutting their grass and letting dandelions grow and putting a sign yeah. in the garden saying, you know, this is I'm leaving this for the bees. You know, I think that's really great. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is very much a, a democratic idea and it's very much uh, a, an individual and a community thing. It's, it's, you know, it's not just a, kind of a pet project for conservation. Yeah. This is this is you, you touch on very important point that quite often is we have this nicely cut uh, lawns and sprayed with a ton of uh, herbicide and pesticide and it's like it looks like a nice green grass but in in, in reality it's completely dead it's like a like a mini monoculture on somebody's yard and if if that could be a starting point kind of to get into 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 psyche into mentality of people like hey what are you actually doing this is not not nature you don't you know it's like grass is not enough there's like you said whether it's a pollinator grass or anything and and start with a with a small steps perhaps that's the way then to um kind of get people more used to the idea and and then when you're talking about rewilding they they can uh kind of connect the dots it's like oh i get it you know i've done it in my garden why we not can do this in i don't know national parks for example or something like that yeah 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 and and that's that's the great value of it and uh, the other thing is about you know getting people to engage with what they're looking at you know we've been told Mm. for so long (laughs) you know that ireland is such a beautiful country and there's nature everywhere and sure it's green isn't just you know isn't that all you all you want um but but we haven't you know and people don't know an awful lot about nature so we've kind of just accepted that that's kind of uh, board faultia version of ireland so i mean if we can get people to look at the hills or look at the fields or the rivers or the sea and go what's really going on here um yeah. i think that 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 would be the start of the transformation i mean like irish wildlife trust twitter feed ruined it for me <laughs> because i was this guy who was seeing this like oh what a beautiful landscape and like <laughs> and then and uh, kind of, uh, I, as I was reading, it's like, oh, okay, uh, that's not how it's supposed to be. That's that's actually something that, um, on the first glance, appears as a beautiful landscape. In fact, is kind of ruined landscape, and and it's not what it's supposed to be. So that <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know, and 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 yes, I suppose part of it is kind of ruining people's people's perception of it. But that's really important. I mean, I still hear a lot uh, of you know uh, the the role of sheep, for instance, on the hills, and that people say, no, the sheep are really important on the hills for maintaining the biodiversity. Yeah. But like. We have to be honest about what's happening. There's very little biodiversity left in our hills. The sheep is the is the biggest animal you're likely to see if you uh, go into uh, true. west of Ireland. That's true. And uh, you know, whereas we used to have this really rich, uh, diverse uh, ecosystem of forests and wetlands, and that's what we should be uh, getting back. But we are, but like we have to be honest about uh, about what has happened to our countryside as well and sometimes i see a lot of resistance in facing up to that so look we're we're talking about rewilding and i suppose uh over over last well probably a year or even more i heard you uh talking quite actively about wolves about the reintroduction of wolves and um yeah, t- t- tell tell us about it. What's uh, what's 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 in your mind, and how do you see this unfolding in the future? 
so, I mean, I always thought it would be a good idea to bring back uh, the many animals and plants that we've lost uh, over the years. Um, but I, last year uh, was exceptional because uh, Eamon Ryan, leader of the Green Party, came out and told RTA that he wanted to see wolves coming back. And that really saw the whole issue explode uh, in the yeah. media. Yeah. Which I thought was he, great. He, he kind of backed out of this immediately, like which was <laughs> like disappointing to be honest. I mean, disappointing from the perspective of like, whoa, you know, you you either not saying that, or once you said it, at least you know, <laughs> stick to your guns. Yeah, I was disappointed that he backtracked on it uh, on it a bit because I thought it was really brave of him to say it, and uh, mm-hmm. and I think it's a, it's a really important uh, conversation. And the fact that so many people laughed at him and scoffed at the idea goes to show mm-hmm. the distance we have to travel in this country to accept mm-hmm. just how much uh, our relationship with nature has broken down. I mean, people kind of see wolves as you know you know scaly dragons from Lord of the Rings that are going to <laughs> <laughs> you know, breathe fire on whole villages. But of course, this is just so far from the truth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm genuinely uh, enthusiastic about the idea of bringing wolves back. Now, I'm genuinely enthusiastic of bringing everything back. It's, you know, it's a whole Noah's Ark of, of creatures uh, that we've lost over the years. I'm in favor of bringing bears back and uh, sturgeon and, you know, right whales. And I'd love to see them all come back. Um, you know, some of them have greater problems than others. But the thing about wolves and why it's so uh, emblematic of all these other issues is just how uh, exciting and triggering and uh, you know terrifying wolves are t- to people that you can you can kind of use uh, wolves as a metaphor for wild nature and you know you can talk yeah. you can have a conversation about bringing back wolves that won't be quite the same as you know talking about bringing back uh, the Rannoch rush for instance which is a type of you know grass that grew in a bog yeah. you know that won't really yeah. excite very many people yeah yeah that's that's true you know I I I got to be careful to not come across as as uh, someone who is against introduction of wolves because I'm not I'm just so hopelessly don't see how this could happen and I, I don't know whether it's because the island is so small or or you know and when I talk to to even uh, I don't remember now the number of the episode but uh I was talking to uh, one of the members of, of one of the deer hunting organization, I think it was uh, uh, Irish Deer Association, Wild Deer Association of Ireland. And fundamentally, uh, those people would love to see wolf. They would like to see boar. They would like to see all these animals. But then immediately say, so yeah, but it would cause so massive problems for farmers. I, I would never say, you know, I'm not going to be that selfish and say we need to bring back wolves because they're going to do these all the, all these problems. And I, I'm just wondering, and you're obviously aware of that. So I am wondering if if the if if what what you're what you're thinking is about you know if we're going to be talking long enough and pushing long enough, you know, finally something will break, something will click, and we will have some options, or. Because you know, I don't. I just don't, don't like. What's what's? How do you see this coming to fruition over the next? I don't know, fifteen years or ten years. I don't know. What's your time frame you have in mind? 
Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, I think uh, uh, one of the points you made there was about, you know, the, uh, the, the, the kind of pushback you get from within the conservation community. And I think really, you know, if you have been working in conservation for the past, you know, 10, 20, 30 years or whatever, uh, you know, it's been a miserable time, you know, and there's an element of Stockholm syndrome going on here, you know, everything is disappointment and, you know, uh, uh, lack of achieving targets and we're losing our curlews or we're losing our bees. So people kind of feel, you know, we're so beaten down. How on earth are we going to do something ambitious like, you know, bring back wolves if we if we can't mm-hmm. save, you know, insects for heaven's sake. Um, yes. <laughs> so, uh, and then of course there is also this fear of the uh, farming organizations that, you know, mm-hmm. because they get to bang the table inside government buildings and they seem to get their way all the time. That is the kind of narrative that, uh, that 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 we've kind of grown up with. So, the I think the the. I think a lot of conservationists and ecologists in Ireland have kind of lost the bigger picture. And you see that uh, in Ireland and in the UK as well, where there are campaigns now to save flowers on the sides of roads, mm-hmm. roadside verges, you know, the, how great they are for bees. And I think, well, I mean, fine, you know, maybe they are. But I mean, is that it? Are we giving up on, on the land? Or is this, is this where conservation is at now? Is this, are, we, are we battling to save the edges along roads? I mean, jeepers, this is really, this is pathetic stuff. Uh, so <laughs> we have to, we have to refine our ambition. We have to look at, uh, you know, the potential of Ireland and the potential to restore natural ecosystems. We are completely horrified when we look at, you know, what's happening in Brazil and the burning of the Amazon or the destruction of forests in Southeast Asia. But we have to remember that Ireland is probably the most deforested country in the world, uh, you know, more than anywhere except maybe Iceland. So, you know, and just because that happened, you know, long ago, does that mean we should, you know, just give up on and, uh, and trying to reestablish uh, natural ecosystems in Ireland again? Uh, I, I really don't think so. I think we have to be uh, we have to be ambitious. Now, the, the other question you asked, you know, how is it going to actually play out how is it going to happen in reality uh i think firstly we have to be able to talk about it without people freaking out we have to accept Mm -hmm. that wolves are you know a a native animal they're a part of our culture they're part of our heritage they belong here i don't expect conversations to be easy i don't expect you know people to just suddenly wake up in the morning and say oh yeah it's a great idea let's do it you know it's Mm -hmm. going to take a lot of convincing and a lot of groundwork but remember we already know we have to completely transform how we use land in Ireland. We have to completely transform how we farm and produce food, what we do with the bogs, what we do with our forests. These conversations have to happen anyway. Uh, I made the point recently about the freshwater pearl mussel, which uh, I've been doing some research on. Freshwater pearl mussel doesn't attack and kill sheep you know it doesn't it isn't the the, the monster in our fairy tales and yet the pearl mussel is is critically endangered with extinction and in order to save it we would have to change absolutely everything we'd have to change our farming our forestry how we use our bogs all of these things have to happen anyway so i think if we can, number one, have a, a, a proper mature conversation about what has happened in Ireland and what's continuing to happen uh, to nature in Ireland, uh, and then 
uh, I think that will be the starting point. And then if we start talking about, you know, bringing back large areas of wetlands and woodlands, uh, where are they going to go? I think you'll find that the wolves will fit into that uh, conversation eventually because just because of the, the utter transformation that has to happen all over the place. Is that the worry that then you would really have a, a population of, um, let's say in air quotes, uh, urban wolves that with with the you know they would they would have to kind of sneak out here and there because the argument i i often hear is like well look they it's not true that the wolves needs to need to have like a large massive area of wilderness they can coexist they they're very adaptable and so on and so forth and would that be the compromise that that you would be happy with uh at least for a start to have these these animals who are you know trying to survive really in the landscape and is is that worthy you know you know what i mean to, to, to introduce the population of wolves but they're kind of not like this is the area where they can go and and, and do whatever wolves do they're rather kind of wedged in into the mosaic of farmer fields sheep this that then you have an issue of control of you know snaring or shooting or poaching and and all all that 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 would introduce like a massive amounts of uh, issues and is it would it be worthy in the end well i mean i think you, you know there's there's nobody talking about bringing wolves back you know this year or next year uh yeah i think uh, you know, we would have to obviously think these things through. I think wolves would would survive in Ireland in theory today, um, but uh, but the big problem is that they would be shot and persecuted. So the, the issue is really human tolerance. Um, but if we are to let's say tackle climate change, and if we're going to rewild the bogs, uh, if we're going to transform our forestry, but then I mean we're talking about look where there would be decent sized areas uh, away from farmland. Now of course wolves are great travelers. You know they don't stay in one place. Um, they could turn up anywhere, as you say. They could turn up at the edge of cities, or they could you know turn up at the other side of the country. So you know we'd have to we'd have to be able to manage that. Um, and put the processes in place. Now, this has been done before. This has been done in Holland, uh, where they saw that wolves were coming in, uh, you know, from Germany, and uh, uh, and and they they expected wolves to turn up in Holland. So they didn't wait for the wolves to turn up. They got active and they they started talking to farmers and talking to the state agencies about, you know, how are we going to deal with this when it does happen. And that's the that's why I think it's important to talk about wolves now. You know, for people who say, you know, there's so many things that have to change, that's fine. But I mean, we have to be talking about these things now so that, you know, maybe it would be, we would see actual animals on the ground in maybe 15, 20 years' time. Yeah, I, I guess that's that's a, a unfortunate fact that when we talk about countries like Belgium or Netherlands, there the, the, those wolves have, you know, they they can come from come from somewhere and they have somewhere to go. Well, Ireland being an island, it's it's like we literally have to bring the wolves wolves in the cages here and cut them loose somewhere. It's 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 not going to happen naturally, right? No, no, it would, it would have to be as a as a, as a planned. Uh reintroduction so uh, i mean that that's you know has its pluses it means we can control it a bit better 
we could certainly make sure we bring in healthy animals so we're not bringing in risk of disease or anything like that mm-hmm. uh, and that we can have all the processes in place um, you know in terms of uh, public awareness education uh, programs with farmers etc so you know I think all of those things are are practical the real thing that has to be worked out is can we can we get over our instinct of fear and uh, of, of wolves and and indeed wild nature in general, you know, that's that's really yeah. where the conversation has to be at. And even like recently, uh, I think it was again on Twitter, like was a discussion about that potentially links would be a better choice for uh, initial kind of reintroduction and and kind of easing people into the the mindset of rewilding because kind of links are more secretive and and that that would be better you know easier to swallow let's say for for uh, people who are against it yeah well i mean maybe uh, i don't know i mean you look I'm at sensing uh, that you're not in favor you would go straight to the wolves well <laughs> you see i i look at what happened in uh, britain when they reintroduced beavers i mean people still freaked out at, at the idea of beavers in the countryside mm-hmm. uh you know they still had this very uh, acrimonious debate uh, and we're only talking about beavers you know people yeah. get very excited about uh, seagulls uh, in Dublin, where I live, people people get kind of outraged at the idea yeah. that seagulls can be allowed to just fly around and do what they want in the mm-hmm. in the city. So, I mean, I, I don't necessarily see links as solving that problem. You know, I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it would be easier, but maybe it wouldn't. You know, I think I think reintroducing anything, learning to live with nearly anything. Uh, you know, requires a change in mindset. I think that has to be addressed. So, yeah, do we do we try to do it the kind of you know gradualist, uh, softly, softly approach, or do we go for the big bang? Now, I mean, mm-hmm. I you know reckon uh, we have lost 120 species of plants and animals in Ireland that we know about. Now, if we were mm-hmm. to do one reintroduction program per year. Mm-hmm. That would mean 120 years before we see our plants and animals come back. Do we have yeah. 120 <laughs> years, you know, considering uh, the urgency of the climate and the biodiversity emergency? You know, I don't really think we have that level of time to be, uh, you know, fiddling around, thinking about it. So uh, I think we have to we have to kind of cut to the chase. Well, well you, you're, you're mentioning like a 10, 15 years. Is that the time frame you, you, you think it's realistic? Well, I mean, I've that, that I would like to think so. Certainly, I think it's possible. I mean, you know, you look at how the world has been transformed, uh, Tommy, in the last two weeks uh, with the with the COVID nineteen emergency. Things can change very, very rapidly. People kind of look out ten, fifteen years and assume that you know things are going to just be gradual and at the current rate of change we're never going to get there but that's not how history progresses you know we do manage to do things in sudden leaps or sudden shifts and as i say if we can if we can work on the, the 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 shift in our attitudes then the wolves just won't be a problem that's true that's that's true and i and i think that the example that you gave about uh people freaking out about the seagull is is a it's a it's a good illustration of uh of what's going on and um even you know you you mentioned the the emergency with covid nineteen it's uh i i heard i heard that uh or, or read it somewhere that 
especially in the in the in the West, in the in the Western civilization, Western economy, or 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 North or rich North, uh, like some are saying, like like we kind of got into this attitude, like we are so disconnected and so like um, feeling safely, safe safety, and like absolutely nothing can get in our way and if even if it's a seagull who snatches a a you know potato chip it's like a big outrage it's like oh my god how dare you <laughs> so yeah absolutely and, and i mean this idea of progress you know that humans will progress we are masters of all we survey uh, we will conquer nature um, you know that is proving to be a fallacy now so uh, well it always was but you know it is kind of staring us in the face now uh, about yeah. what we're doing and the links between the biodiversity emergency and the COVID-19 outbreak are are plain to see and there were plenty of warnings about it so yeah, yeah. you know this isn't a separate crisis to the to the to the environmental crisis we're dealing with so it, it definitely needs a, a more comprehensive response yeah listen and that's that's excellent uh segue to what you you mentioned the 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 connection between the current health emergency and biodiversity loss uh, i read about uh I, I read a number of articles about it i think that that you also wrote an article about it um i am not i am not sure if i 100 percent agree with that so so let's explore this so maybe maybe let's let's start uh if you can if you can lay out like what's uh what's in your view the connection between biodiversity loss and and the current situation with the with the virus that spreads across the world covid-19 is called a zoonotic disease which means it is uh, carried and transmitted through animals and uh, it was the uh, wildlife conservation society in the us that I got the figure from it said about 60% of our disease outbreaks in the last 3 decades have been zoonotic in origin so they're talking about aids ebola um, a lot of these sars and mers types diseases um, have come from the animal world now, I went back, I read the, uh, the report from the UN's panel on uh, biodiversity and ecosystem services, which was published last year. Uh, it hit the headlines because it warned that a million species were going to go extinct or were going to be threatened with extinction. But there is a section in that report about disease and about uh, the increased risk of spreading zoonotic disease from uh, the destruction of habitats, particularly forests, uh, and also. Uh, the illegal wildlife trade. Mm-hmm. This connection isn't new. I mean, if you look in the literature, people have been warning about this now for many decades. Um, yes. There's documentaries on Netflix uh, that uh, I watched recently that talked about how, you know, where to, if you want to know where to look for where these diseases emerge, you know, look for the logging roads, uh, look for the mining towns, the people who are, you know, uh, pressing into uh, previously virgin rainforests. This is where the contact emerges merges between uh, people and these ecosystems that have basically been undisturbed for for millions of years if we look at the uh, the current crisis in hand uh, it's suspected that it came from bats uh, there's also a, a suspicion that it came from pangolins uh, i mean pangolins are a group of of uh, species i think there's eight species in total the most trafficked species in the world 
from yeah. Africa and India and, and other parts parts of Asia. They're all endangered with extinction. You know, so the uh, to, to me the the uh, the, the links between the collapse in biodiversity and our own health uh, are, are very apparent. Yeah, and uh, this is this is conversation. You know, I even I even wanted to record a video about that. Um, I, I have this series uh, on YouTube called Tommy Says, when I'm just kind of giving my opinion on on stuff. And I I recorded a video and I ended up never publishing because I was not sure. Really, and I have a number of conversations uh, with with people um, about that, and and I'm I'm so happy to have you here because um, I would like to discuss that with you. So here's here's what I'm thinking: that um, I get it that these these are the these are the arguments that 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 are true what you said, but then this is not something that is just happening. I mean. Uh, Chinese were eating bats and pangolins long before, and certainly, you know, uh, back in the times where most people in Europe are were still sitting in the mud, Chinese already had a flourishing civilizations, and surely these things were happening before as well. And you know, it's I, I, it's hard to me to buy into an argument that all of a sudden we pushed into this. Uh, virgin and undiscovered pieces of the earth, and we found like a new disease there. I, I think that we already done that many, many years ago, and we are almost we we have almost no um, no wild like a true wilderness. There's very few far in between places, and there are very hard to go that are really uh, unspoiled and not touched with 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 uh, human hand or human foot. So I'm trying to trying to it's it's hard to me to to get that argument like like all of a sudden we discover this wilderness and we push into this wilderness and we you know get into contact with species that we never get into contact before and this is why we have those those zoonotic diseases that get transmitted to to people i think we were doing that long ago and that was going on for a long long time for thousands of years the difference is that we never had such a ease and volume of travel that we have now. So if that was year, you know, 867, and there was a big outbreak in China, well, nobody knows about it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, I mean, you're right. I mean, this isn't the idea, the idea of zoonotic disease is not new. It's been with us throughout uh, human history, um, and of course, um, our our patterns of, of growth and human movement and our patterns of consumption are are absolutely linked to the way that diseases like this can spread around the world uh, so quickly. But you look at, uh, you know, the illegal wildlife. Uh, trade uh, illegal wildlife trafficking is one of the uh, the top 5 uh, illegal uh, practices in the world it's up there with uh, drug trading and it's up there with uh, human slavery uh, in terms of its magnitude and its uh, its value which runs into uh, billions of of euro um, mm -hmm. and then you look at the amount of deforestation that has happened uh, in the last you know 20 25 years uh, since 1990 we've lost an area of forest virgin forest about uh, 15 times the size of 
of Ireland. Uh, you know, so you're talking about you know places in Southeast Asia. You know, there mm-hmm. there wasn't wide scale de- uh, deforestation going on uh, in many parts of the world uh, a thousand years ago or, or up until the 1500s. Um, you know, so so the, mm-hmm. the, that pace of uh, habitat destruction and uh, you know uh, uh, species loss is absolutely unprecedented in in uh, in modern uh, history and that is why when you when you link that in with human uh, human patterns of growth and our uh, our flying all over the world and the way we live and the way we farm uh, the way we you know many animals around the world are densely compacted into factory farms and treated in unsavory conditions there are many different facets to it uh, mm-hmm. but but the but the links are there, and we have to start seeing our health as being part of the wider uh, planetary health. Yeah, I suppose I suppose the bit that that I'm finding counterintuitive is uh, that the more we lose uh, wildlife and wild and species of animals, the more we get into contact with them, and therefore we have those those uh, those diseases. Right? It would I would I would more think like well, the more we lose them the less we have contact with nature, the less we have contact with those animals, uh, not more. So I, I guess this is the bit that, that is a little bit counterintuitive to me. Well, I mean, for many species, uh, you know, if you go in and destroy a forest and build a road or build a town or whatever, you know, some species will go extinct, uh, but many species will, will adapt. And, uh, yeah. and, and so whereas you had, let's say, you know, bats flying around a forest, uh, all of a sudden now you have bats uh, maybe flying around human villages, uh, flying into animal pens, uh, coming into contact with us and our food systems uh, yeah. where, where there wasn't that level of contact before. So yeah. again, we're, we, you know, humanity is pushing deeper and deeper into uh, previously untouched areas uh, uh, and exposing us to these, these novel uh, viruses all the time no i get i get that i this is this is this is a piece where yeah i i i have to agree with that um but i still have this other side in the back of my head do you do you not well maybe not afraid is the wrong word but i'm just wondering if the result of that reasoning is all right so we need less contact with wildlife and we need less wildlife because we have those zoonotic diseases. So in, in ter- in, 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 instead of protecting, uh, because, in, you know, like you have, you have two options. Like I'm not saying you have two options, but you can imagine that you have two ideas. One idea is like, okay, let's preserve all this wildlife and all those untouched places. Let's fence them and let's not get anyone in there because there are diseases and, and all that stuff. And then what follows is like, well, if 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 this wildlife and this wild areas is nothing but just a source of diseases, let's get rid of it, right? Let's get rid of bats. Let's get rid of pangolins. Let's get rid of all that stuff. We won't have that problem. And and I see the danger that you know this reasoning can lead then to like okay let's solve this problem once for all that way rather than through protection because why would you protect something that will ultimately 
give you disease that you can't cure. I I, I imagine, uh, Tommy, some people will follow that line of thought. I imagine there will mm. be people saying, oh, well, let's go out and get all the bats, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll rid ourselves of, the, of this problem. But of course, you know, uh, you know that's only part of the problem you know the bats didn't yeah. create the epidemic uh, the pandemic uh, you know as you say it is it is human activity that created the pandemic even if the yeah. actual virus uh, originated uh, in in bats so yes um yes. You know, so it is recognizing this link. So it's, I mean, I think the, the message is we have to, we have to stop destroying nature. We have to stop uh, illegally trafficking uh, uh, wild animals around the world. We have to stop some of these practices like, uh, you know, these wet markets that you see in, in, in parts of Asia. Um, yeah. These these are the things that uh, that 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 we have to uh, we have to stop doing. Yeah, no, I, I I get that. I'm I'm just you know a little bit worried that what most of people are like like a, like a global conscious will get out of that. Like, okay, we need to be even more separated from nature. You know, like even now, like okay, let's stay at home. And so I see this pattern emerge. Okay, let's stay at home. Don't touch bats. Don't do anything with wildlife. You know, we we need to, and perhaps we need the opposite. We need, I, I, and I think that you agree that we need the opposite. We need more contact with nature. We need more nature around. We need, and this is how we started this conversation, right? Let's let's have this 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 little rewilding projects on our backyard, and let's bring back the nature. Because my my personal thought is. And you know, obviously, I, I'm, I'm not an expert in, in medicine or infectious diseases, but I read one um, article where one of the infectious diseases expert was saying that part of what is to blame is very poor condition of human health and human immune systems because we have we are so isolated from nature because our gut biome is not what it used to be and certainly what it, what it should be because we have all the vegetables washed and sprayed and, and clean. And uh, we have plastic in our blood, like we know, and our immune system is not what it used to be. And our immune system should deal with this virus uh, no problem. In most cases, it, it, it does, but still it creates a huge problems. And perhaps the problem is here that we have not enough contact with nature. We not integrated enough with that nature. We too much separated, and we as a human animal are suffering. And this is the why we have all those problems. Yeah, it's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting point. I hadn't heard it before, but you know, I, I can. I can. I can see the the line of of reasoning there, um, and I do also see the risk that you're talking about that people, you know, people are already kind of afraid of nature, and you know, mm-hmm. will this yes. will just heighten that fear of nature and say we need to be more tidy and sanitizing, and you know, mm-hmm. we need to stay in more and keep exactly. our distance from from things, whether it's you know spiders or whatever, or the birds in the yeah. garden. Yeah, and all these things. Yeah. Of course, I mean, uh, uh, you know, 
people, most of the forests in the world are inhabited by indigenous peoples. Um, you know, so it's it's not, you know, the, the, the argument I'm trying to make is not that we, we need to build a big, you know, fence and, and mm-hmm. separate us out from nature. But, that, but this is the point that we are a part of nature, but we have to we have to uh, nourish the relationship a little bit more. But I see what you mean. It is a big worry that um, that we are living in the dystopian future that, you know, I don't know if you, you know, Blade Runner, you know, where the yeah. Yeah, people yeah. just live in these awful cities that are totally mm-hmm. natureless and outside is pretty much dead and all our mm-hmm. food is manufactured in, in factories. Yeah. Uh, from artificial food stocks, you know, I mean that—that's actually, you know, a realistic, uh, you know, uh, trajectory that we're on at the moment. It's it's uh, scary, but it's it's not that hard to imagine. No, no. Uh, so uh, you know, I mean, we have choices. We have to remember that as humans uh, and societies, we have choices about uh, how how things transpire. So. You know, I think we we have to use this moment uh, uh, wisely uh, 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 and think very carefully about the kind of future, because certainly the reckoning is coming. You know, you see this pandemic happening at a time now where uh, literally global ecosystems are collapsing around us from, you know, over-exploitation and climate change, whether it's the Arctic uh, ice sheets and the coral reefs and the, and the tropical rainforests. So, you know, major change is, is on the way. I really feel that what we're living through at the moment is just a taster. But you mean it's a, it's a, it's a taster and if things are going to go for better or for worse? What's your... Uh, Either way, I think uh, I, I think we can choose to see the connections now and uh, act uh, positively, uh, or we can be be carried away uh, in a kind of a business as usual trajectory. In which case, uh, inequalities are heightened. The rich basically say that they're just going to save themselves. There'll be yeah. you know food crises. There'll be water crises. There'll be war and migration. I mean, all these things sound you know like the four horsemen, but you know we're actually living through through a taster of it, and that is why you know our participation in civil society, our you know our political systems are, are so important because at the end of the day these are choices that are made they're not just things that happen by themselves uh, they're choices that are made so we really have to make sure that the right ones no that's that's true and you know uh, just just to inject uh, some some positive vibe maybe um, I think and and again it's it's not like I thought it up but this is kind of opinion that I formed after after reading uh, and listening to a lot of a lot of people that's you know, we it, it's it's really only last what fifty years, maybe twenty years that we realized what's going on, and um, and and the argument is like how how quickly would you expect humans to react? And in the past, we we reacted, we adapted to many things, and we reacted positively, um, and 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 move on. So perhaps it's. It's just a you know it's just the beginning and like you said we we're just about to wake up and this is just a very recent in terms of human population right where where you talk about 30 50 years as a recent thing where we start waking up to these things and it's like oh hang on a minute right because we had a uh, we we had a like as a humanity pretty pretty i think good track record on on uh, uh, what what was it called cfc the, the the things that were destroying the ozone layer Right, mm-hmm. we we get we got rid of that, 
Um, we we got rid of uh, uh, merc- mercury, and that was used, you know, everywhere. We got rid of lead, and we're getting in, still in the process of getting rid of lead. We had a lead pipes; so we don't have them anymore. So this is gradual process, and I think I'm certainly hopeful that we're just waking up to these things. Um, and it's not all doom and gloom, except, you know, there is an inertia and we need some time to react and we need some time to transform, you know, mindsets, uh, you know, change of, of uh, you know, people, the new generation will come in that is more conservation minded and, and more of us like, hey, you know, our, our uh, grandparents and our parents were able to go out and, and fish on the shore and catch those big fish. I can't do that anymore. Like what happened? And and you know, inevitably, those people were then get into the governments, get into the uh, you know decision making positions, and that's how we start changing. So, I'm kind of hopeful, to be honest. Uh, at least I want to be. Oh, I mean, we, we all want to be hopeful, and um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you if you look at you know, you mentioned CFCs and you know, lead and mm-hmm. petrol and all these things. Yeah, you know that that, that those developments happened around the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties. Remember, mm-hmm. we're coming up to the fiftieth anniversary of Earth Day in the United States. Uh, the Earth Summit happened in Rio de Janeiro in nineteen ninety two. You know, all these things were being spoken about then: habitat destruction and climate change. And there was great hope in the world. And Certainly, you know, this is the time I was growing up. I kind of felt that, you know, this is progress and that, you know, environmental regulations will tighten and things will gradually improve. Of course, we've seen uh, in recent years that things can go into reverse uh, with the, you know, the Trump administration in America that, you know, all these regulations can be undone. So this is kind of it's the point I'm emphasizing is that, you know, it very much required. We can't just sit back as citizens and assume that things are going to follow a certain trajectory. We have to be involved. As citizens, we have to be active. We have to do more than hope. We have to uh, we have to really get active. So, I mean, yeah. if you're if you're optimistic, you can say, you know, we, we are at a turning point. Uh, humanity will get its act together. We see, we know what the solutions are. We know we can we can feed everybody without uh, destroying the world. We we have the solutions to clean energy. Uh, we know that conservation works whenever you know it is tried. Whether it's you know restoring habitats and protecting species, there's lots of examples of it, of it actually working. So mm-hmm. the solutions are not beyond us yep. but of course it's just as easy to be pessimistic and see how things can go the other way how you can see that uh, with the rise of nationalism uh, in certain countries that this will provoke fear in people and to say we need to shut ourselves off from other countries from other people from nature uh, and that we'll see that the path of degradation go downwards so it's not a, to me like optimism and pessimism are not really useful ideas in this debate it's about mm-hmm. whether we're willing to implement the solutions and whether we're willing to fight for those solutions to be implemented that's a very good point listen Parik, uh thank, thanks for that thanks for your time it was it was great to uh you know chat it through and and, and kind of bounce those ideas back and forth um because I think it's 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 important, and even for for people listening to that, um, you know, get their their uh, cogs in their brain going and and thinking about uh, what we said. So, 
thanks for that. And um, you know, as usual, is 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 there anything else you would like to leave us with? Any message? Well, just, just I suppose, Tommy, it is a worrying time for everybody, and uh, and maybe just the, the the message is not not to feel that you know this is you know that, that all these problems are inevitably leading to our doom. There are uh, lots of, of community and social and regional efforts, and uh, and my message to people is is get involved and get active and participate and make sure that our voices are heard. Uh, you know, so that, you know, the, the, the better world actually happens. Absolutely. Barak, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Tommy. You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.